it is always, as C.S. Lewis says it, bounded by time. We know it's not going to last. We're aware that it's going to end, and so we try to hold on to it. We try to grasp it. We try to remember it. Like Mary, we try and treasure it in our hearts. Sometimes we take pictures so we can look at them later, but you know, when we look at those pictures, we have fond memories, but we rarely, if ever, experience the exact same joy we felt in that moment. C.S. Lewis, in his autobiography, Surprised by Joy, writes about it with a complete sense of wonder. He describes how, as an unbeliever, joy would just come upon him when he least expected it, and he couldn't figure out where it came from. It just came out of nowhere, and he wondered, what is it? Where does this come from? And the answers that he found drove him to God. The answers drove him to something lasting. It drove him to goodness. Joy happens because of something good. A recent study of how our brains process information revealed that it only takes three seconds for your mind to solidify a negative experience. For, for you to have a negative experience and for that to become something that is easily retrievable in your mind takes just three seconds, but it takes more than 14 seconds for a positive experience to find its root in your mind where you can easily recall it later. So at least part of whether or not we have joy is determined by what we focus on, what our perspective is. You can see it when God raises Moses up to deliver his people, Israel, from Egypt. And the first thing they do is they sing songs of joy. But you know where they are? They're in the desert. And the promised land is still a long way off, but they're singing songs of joy. We see it in a Roman jail cell when Paul writes the book of Philippians. And he tells the, the, the readers of his letter, I am in chains. There are people who are going around disparaging me, talking badly about me. They're disparaging the gospel. And every day I wonder if this one will be my last. But if you read Philippians, it's entirely positive. There is nothing negative in it. Because you know what Paul says about those circumstances that he's in? He says, because of my imprisonment, the Christians are bolder and have less fear. Because of my chains, people are hearing the gospel in the palace guard. People may be criticizing me, but at least they're hearing the gospel. And if I die, how is that bad news, he says. I'll get to be with Jesus. And by Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7, this is what Paul says. He is exclaiming, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Paul is commanding us to have joy. Later in the book of James, he says that we can take stock of our circumstances. We can think about what's happening to us and around us, and we can consider it pure joy. He says you can change your perspective and arrive at joy. So on the one hand, my experience of joy is usually sudden and transient. But Paul and James tell us we can choose joy. How? How do we do that? I think because even though we may not acknowledge it, Paul and James know that our joy here, whenever it comes, whatever it is that brings us joy, that any joy we have here points to God. And it's just a shadow of the eternal joy that's coming. 
As human beings, we are created in the image of God and have the God-given ability to use our minds to consider and pause and think about what he has done for us through his son, Jesus. And that brings us great joy. When's the last time you felt great joy for knowing that you have a savior in Jesus Christ? That's what the angel declared. Glad tidings, good news, gospel of great joy for all people. Why? He says, because a savior has been born. A savior's been born. Do you remember our piano student? A few years later, long after the passing of his mother, the boy who is now a man was traveling and he walked into the vast lobby of the hotel in which he was staying and he noticed an unattended piano off to the side. And he suddenly remembered the words of his mother. The best news in the world is in that scale if you remember to play it with the pauses. And so he sat down at the piano and he played the scale with the pauses. Bum, bum, ba bum, 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 bum. I hope that you are anticipating a lot of joy coming your way this week. I know for some of you, it is a bittersweet time of the year, maybe especially this year. So wherever you find yourself this week, when joy does come, when joy does come, pause, think about it, consider it, soak it in. And my hope for you and my hope for me is that it will remind us of the joy that we have in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Sean. Well, Evan, it's no fair bringing out uh, pictures of cute babies. I really can't compete with that, so I apologize. Uh, I'm kind of a collector of like weird history stories, so if you'll indulge me, I have another one for you this morning. Uh, this takes place in the early 1800s in a small town called Gloucestershire, England. Um, a young woman appears in this town, and she is uh, really unique, very strange. She doesn't speak the language. She can't communicate with anyone. She's wearing very different exotic clothing. She knocks on the door of a family called the Worrells, and uh, they take her in, uh, try to take care of her, and uh, she's even stranger than they thought. She won't sleep on a bed. She will only sleep on the floor. Um, after a little while, they find out she's really good with a bow and arrow and an excellent fencer, which was really uncommon for uh, women in this era. Um, and she also would climb a tree every night to pray to some god that they hadn't ever heard of. Uh, just a really strange kind of situation. They finally found out that her name was Caribou. And so they tried to go through this whole situation to figure out who she was and where she had come from. And throughout that, came in contact with a Portuguese sailor who said that he understood her. So they talked and he relayed to the Worrell family that she was a princess from the island nation of Javasu in the Indian Ocean. And that her village had been attacked by pirates. She had been kidnapped and put on a boat. And then as the boat came around near the uh, shore of this village, she had jumped overboard, escaped the pirates, and ended up in this small town. Well, 
the, the villagers, the people in this rural community had never been visited by royalty before, so they were absolutely stunned and taken aback that a princess would be in their town. She became the toast of the town, and the story got bigger and bigger and bigger, and finally, national news uh, outlets in, in London came and wrote this news story about Princess Caribou. Well, you might be able to see the ending coming. Uh, someone quickly recognized her. Her name was Mary Wilcox, and she was a cobbler's daughter from a few villages over. She was not royalty at all. She had concocted an elaborate story because she knew there was an advantage in being considered royalty. Um, you can consider her a con woman or just somebody trying to reach outside of you know, the confines of her culture, but she was probably not the first, nor will she be the last person to pretend to be royalty. Who here has received an email from a Nigerian prince that only needs a couple of hundred dollars to access their vast wealth, right? Royalty denotes honor, it denotes wisdom, it denotes education, and um, just all these positive things that we have wrapped up in that. Okay, I want to shift gears for a second. I want you to take out your Bible, and we're going to look at Galatians 4, starting in verse 4. But when the set time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you were no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you were his child, God has made you also an heir. You are royalty. You have been adopted into a royal family. There's a lot of awesome things about that, but one of the first ones is that when you look around this room, you don't see friends, you don't just see neighbors, you see brothers and sisters. You see people that are doing life together as a royal family to the Most High God. Now the other side of royalty is that it comes with duty. Uh, throughout history, we see different dynasties that are known for certain things. We see the, the unifying dynasty of the Qin Empire in China that uh, united five kingdoms into a nation. We see the fourth dynasty in Egypt that were builders. They built the pyramids that we still don't fully understand how they were created today. We see the Khan Empire of the Asian steppes that were conquerors and expanded their territory to most of the known world at their time. We see these powerful dynasties each called to different things. But we're called to a dynasty of love. God says he is love. Jesus demonstrates his love through his behavior and through his teachings. And we are told that we're supposed to love each other and love God, that they'll know we're Christians by our love. The dynasty that we are called to is a dynasty of love. And maybe the most exciting piece of this passage is that you are an heir. You are an heir to the kingdom of God, starting with this relationship in covenant that God and Abraham had. Following through to the culmination of Jesus' sacrifice, we are in a position, we, we are heirs to salvation, heirs to eternal life. What an amazing, exciting story that is. I heard one time that family is not necessarily blood, but it's who you'd bleed for. I think that's an awesome analogy. That there are people, that they're so close that I would, I'd be injured to protect that person. Maybe there's somebody that was born into our family, maybe they're not. 
But we have a co-heir, an older brother, that bled for us. Jesus' blood, his sacrifice, cleanses us. It's something that gives us access to being members of this royal family and that we can rest eternally in a heavenly kingdom. If you are not part of that family, if you've not taken advantage of that blood, then we want to invite you to. If you just have questions or need to pray and talk with somebody, then the elders are going to be in the parlor behind us. And if you want to change your life and be part of this royal family, then we invite you to do that as we stand and sing. Be with